evidence and answers. A recent best-selling book teaches that everyone, no matter what they believe, will enter heaven. Is the road to heaven wide or narrow? What did Jesus teach about heaven and how to get there? Welcome to Evidence and Answers with your host, Dr. Pat Zucrin. Pat is a scholar, author, speaker, and teacher specializing in apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. This show and other resources are available on his website at evidenceandanswers.org. We invite you to go there for valuable tools that will equip you to engage your world for Christ. Now let's join Pat as he reveals what Jesus taught about heaven and how to get there. Now, there are several interpretations on what Jesus meant when he said, I will come and take you to myself. I believe the best interpretation is the one that refers to the second coming of Christ, referred to in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, when he comes to the church. Several good New Testament theologians, D.A. Carson and Leon Morris, take this interpretation. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 talks about the return of Christ when he takes his church out of the world. And he says here, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Any moment now... Perhaps now, perhaps a thousand years from now, we don't know. Christ will again return for his church in a monumental event called the rapture when we are taken away and there will be with the Lord forever. Jesus made this possible through his death and resurrection. And he says, I'm preparing a place and one day I will return to take you there. If he's gone through all the trouble of coming to the earth and dying on the cross for our sins, all the more we can be assured he is going to return for us someday. This is the promise he gave to his disciples, which John recorded in chapter 14. Years later, Jesus showed John a vision of what the heavenly dwelling would one day look like. And in Revelation chapter 21, John gives a very brief but telling description of the heavenly home. And he's trying to describe it as best as he can in the vocabulary that he has. And as inaccurate as he is, he tries to just give the best description. And he writes here in chapter 21, he says, He showed me the holy city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Can you imagine a city? shining like a jewel, radiating with the glory of God. You know, Seattle, they call it the Emerald City. You know, when I got there, I didn't know why, because it's so dark and dreary. You know, I said, what, what, what emerald is this, you know? But one day the sun came out, and I understood why they called it the Emerald City. Wow, it is gorgeous when the sun shines on the deep green, the pine trees on the grass, the well, the way the grass and the trees shine that emerald green and in the sunlight it's something else imagine when the glory of God shines upon the heavenly city like this at the gates were 12 angels and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed on the east three gates on the north three gates on the south three gates on the west three gates and the wall had 12 foundations and on them were the 12 names of the apostles it says the city lies four square its length 
as same as its width, 1,200 stadia. He says, the wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, clear as glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. Remember that Nicolas Cage movie when they found the golden city, right? How beautiful it was. Well, just imagine this one. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite. Here is a beautiful, majestic city that John is somehow trying to describe here in vocabulary the best that he can. And Jesus says, this is where your heavenly dwelling will be. And I, from eternity past, have been preparing a place for you. And one day, I will return and I will bring you there. That's a promise that he makes for each one of us. You know, several years ago, I was going into a country where Christians are still persecuted and where religious freedom is not allowed. So I needed to be careful where and I went and I took all the precautionary measures. Well, my contact, Katie, we met in Dallas and she promised me before I left, she said, I'll make sure we're ready for you and I'll be there at the airport and take you myself to the training center. And I said, Katie, you better be there because my life is in your hands. Well, I arrived at my first stop as I traversed the ocean, but the plane, my connecting plane was delayed for an hour, then another, then another. And with each hour that passed, I got more and more anxious because I didn't think Katie would be there at the airport to meet me. And besides, the number of the plane flight kept changing. So she didn't have a clue what airlines I would be on or what the number of the flight would be. Not knowing the language of the country, where in the world would I go? You know, when I get there and I get out of the gate, there's no one there to meet. What am I, where am I going to go? Where are the hotels? I'd never been to that city before. I didn't know my way around. How would I communicate? Of course, my cell phone did not work, so I had no way to reach her. I used my calling card to try and call the U.S., and hopefully someone at headquarters there would contact her. But the operator on the line couldn't understand a lick of English, and so I was stuck. Well, eight hours later, my plane finally took off for my intended city. And at baggage claim, I was deeply, deeply troubled and tense, wondering what in the world am I going to do? And as I was walking to the baggage claim, I could hardly read the signs on the wall. A lot of places got the English underneath the native language, but there was none of that. How would I ever find a hotel? How would I ever meet my contact? Well, uh, got my bags and headed for the exit. And as I slowly marched out the door, I didn't have a clue what I was going to do. But what I was going to do is try to walk down the street, look for the nearest hotel. Hopefully it's not some bar or massage parlor or something. And uh, check in there for a day or two. If Katie didn't show up, then I'd get on the plane and I'd just go home. Call it a day. Well, as I began to walk out of the exit and the heads began to go to the right, I looked straight ahead and there was one of the greatest sights I'd ever seen. Katie was sitting there on a bench waiting for me. She had waited all those hours for me to arrive. And man, I was so relieved to see her. And after apologizing for the delay, I, I told her, if you weren't here, what I was planning to do. And we kind of had a good laugh. And she smiled at me and said, hey, I told you, don't worry. I said I'd be here to meet you and take you to your destination. She said, I told you I'd be here. 
I got you covered. That's what Jesus has promised us, that one day he's going to come for us, no matter how rough the ride may be here, no matter how many obstacles we may run into. When he makes a promise, you can count on it. And the life application we learn here is this, God's faithfulness and his word and his character are the foundation for peace and rest and joy in this life and on into eternity. The foundation of our peace and relief from trouble and anxiety doesn't rest on our ability or what we can do. It rests on the character and the word of God. And the further we depart from that, the more anxious and anxiety-ridden we become. Jesus tells us of the place. He reminds us of his promise that one day he is coming to take us there. And third, he provides the path to get there. Jesus says, and you know where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Aren't you glad that guy asked that question? Man, I, I love Thomas. That's why the uh, uh, next book coming out is, is built on the Thomas's words here. But I love this guy because if he didn't ask that, we wouldn't have got these great words from Jesus. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus makes it clear the way to heaven is through him and him alone. Jesus is not one of many ways you can pick. Jesus says, I am the way. Jesus is the way because he says, I am the truth. Hey, Jesus is the truth because he embodies the supreme revelation and the nature of God. Chapter 1 of John, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the embodiment of truth. He is God in the flesh. The very character of God resides in Jesus Christ. He says, not only am I the truth, he says, I am the life. Jesus is the life. He has life in and of himself. Colossians chapter 1 says, all things were created by him and for him. John chapter 11, verse 25, before he raises Lazarus from the dead, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus is the life giver at creation, and he is the eternal life giver over death. Literally, he is the way, he is the embodiment of truth, he is the source of life. That is why he is the only way to everlasting and eternal life. He's the only one who could pay the price for sin and overcome the bondage of sin and death through his resurrection. Since other religions teach contrary ways to salvation, they cannot bring everlasting life to anyone. For example, as we studied this morning, Islam teaches that the Trinity is blasphemy. To say the Father has a son, the Trinity is blasphemy in Islam. It is shirk, the unpardonable sin of blasphemy, worthy of death. Islam clearly rejects the teaching that Jesus Christ is the divine Son of God. That's blasphemy in Islam. Islam rejects the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Islam teaches since man is basically good, man can earn his salvation. That's why they reject the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They have an ulterior way to eternal life that contradicts 
the teachings of Jesus Christ. Buddhism teaches that one is an endless cycle of rebirth that can go on and on and on for eons. And one must break this cycle of rebirth by acknowledging the Four Noble Truths, by following the Eightfold Path and the many rules in Buddhism. And one must work to enter into nirvana, a state of nothingness, where your being is completely extinguished. Okay? Nirvana means the blowing out, a state of nothingness where you escape the rebirth cycle and are completely extinguished. You see, the other world religions teach that one is saved by good works and teach a different kind of heaven. Islam teaches that for Muslim men, there's an angel on your left, an angel on your right, and on the day of judgment, the books are opened, and if Allah is merciful, he will allow Muslim men into Islamic paradise where they will be entertained by virgins whom they may take as many for their wives. They'll always be virgins. Um, 40 for good Muslim men, 70 for martyrs. There they'll be drinking from rivers of wine, lying on couches, eating fruit, being entertained by their virgins. Buddhism doesn't teach a heaven as we understand it. Buddhism teaches nirvana, a state of nothingness, okay, where your personhood is extinguished once and for all. Hinduism teaches you become one with Brahma. You're absorbed into the one, into Brahma. You see, other religions teach you're saved by good works, teaches another kind of heaven. This is contrary to what Jesus taught. Jesus is God in the flesh, died to pay the penalty for our sins, and then rose from the dead. No other religious leader offers what Jesus provides, an atonement for sin, and victory over sin and death. Salvation comes through the Son alone because only the Son is capable of being the perfect sacrifice for sins and defeating sin and death upon the cross. That's why Jesus emphasized he's the only way to eternal life. Matthew 7.13, Jesus said, Wide is the road that leads to destruction, but narrow is the one that leads to eternal life, and few find it. Jesus taught that salvation is narrow. A pastor named D. Dehan wrote this short little poem here. He said, No one could enter heaven. Our many sins stood in the way. So God in love sent Jesus, for he alone, sin's debt, could pay. Only one could be the sacrifice. Only one could conquer sin and death, and that's Jesus Christ. All other religious leaders are in the grave. Muhammad is buried in Mecca. Buddha is buried in northern India. Confucius in northern China. Only Christ was able to pay the price for sin, conquer sin and death through his own resurrection. That's why he is the only way. You know, when I was in Dallas, I discipled a young man named Ethan for several years. And finally, he graduated from Southern Methodist University and went back home to Irvine. But before he left, he said, Pat... We own a pretty big house in Southern California there. So whenever you're in Irvine, he said, give me a call. We've got a place for you. So a couple years later, I decided to take him up on his offer. And I called him up there and I said, hey, Ethan, I'm in Irvine. You know, I'd like to stop by and see you. And he said, all right, yeah, come on by. He gave me directions to where his house was. Now, so I drove down to south of Los Angeles to Irvine there. And then I jumped on a brand new freeway. The toll must have been like $3 or something. Totally brand new. 
and I was driving there to a brand new exclusive area. Got off the off-ramp and started going up the hill. And as I started going up the hill, I saw these gated communities and huge mansions there. This is where a lot of stars and celebrities and professional athletes live. So I was going up the hill, and as I kept going up, the houses were getting bigger and bigger and nicer and nicer. And I realized Ethan lives at, you know, one of the top ones on the hill. So I was going up and up and up and up and up. And these were exclusive gated communities. And then when I got to the one that uh, was his particular section, I turned and I went up to the gate and a huge metal gate. And there were five guards there at this huge guard booth there. And I pulled up and the guard came up to me and said, who are you here to see? And I said, well, I'm here to see the K family. And so they dialed him in and he, Ethan's wasn't at home. His father came over the speaker and he said, yes, who is this? And I said, hi, I'm Pat Zucaran. I'm here to visit. And he said, Pat Zucaran? Who's Pat? I don't know Pat Zucaran. And then the guards kind of perked up. And one of them started walking towards my car. And the other one started going to the other side of my car. And I was like, oh, boy. So I said, well, Mr. K, I said, I was your son's pastor in Dallas. He was one of my students. He goes, you know my son, Ethan? I said, oh, yeah, I'm a friend of his. He goes, well, if you know Ethan, then come on in, you know? And so they buzzed me in, right? And I went up the hill, and when I got to the house, a huge, a brand-new house, two huge glass doors opened, and there was Ethan's father there to greet me. But the only reason I was able to go to the father's house is because I knew his son. Any other way, I would not have gotten in. And the question for each one of us today is, do you know the Son of God. The only way to the heavenly mansion of heaven is through the Son. And on that day, that's what the Father is going to ask you. Do you know my Son? He's not going to ask you, did you live a good life? What good things did you do? He's not going to say, what church were you a part of? He's not going to ask you, how much money did you make? He's going to ask you one thing. Do you know my Son? And that's the question for each one of us today. Do you know the Son of God? Eternal destiny rests upon that one question. Do you know the Son? Secondly, without Jesus, our loved ones will be separated from Christ forever. And we know that forever is a very long time. Third, to preach there are other ways to heaven is to preach a false gospel and to give someone a false kind of hope. The most loving thing we can do is to present truth, even if it hurts. And some of Jesus' teachings are tough, but we can't compromise because we find it hard or offensive to others. You know, my pastor taught me, he said, truth will set you free or it will offend. Look at Christ, the most loving man who ever set foot upon the earth and what happened to him. Why? Because he preached truth. And for many, it set them free. And for others... It offended to where they put him on the cross. You know, if I were in the hospital and I were dying of cancer, I wouldn't want you to come and give me a false message of hope. I wouldn't want you to come in there and say, Pat, man, you're going to be cured in three days. You're going to be get up and ready to play golf again. So let's get a tea time together and let's go. Hey, I mean, if I'm dying, I'd rather have you come to me and say, Pat, you got a week left. Is your house in order? Let's make sure everything is set and it's going to where you want it to go and to who you want it to go to. It may be tough to hear, 
But I'd rather hear the truth even if it hurts than give me a false message of hope. And to say there are other ways to Christ would be one of the most unloving things to do to present a compromised gospel and a message of false hope. You know, a few months ago, my uh, uncle died. He was president of the Buddhist Association here in Hawaii. And his kidneys had shut down and he was on dialysis, but he had already refused dialysis and because it was too much of a burden on the family and decided his time had come. So he was in the hospital there up in Liliha and we knew his final days were ahead. And my cousin, my favorite cousin from Boston had flown in. My cousin who grew up take, pretty much taking care of me, taking me to the golf course and all kinds of things. Played a lot of golf together. One of my favorite cousins was here to spend the final days with his father. And when I walked in, we shook hands and spoke to his father briefly. And he said, Pat, can I talk to you for a second outside? And I said, well, sure, you know. And my cousin, he's the funnest, loving jokester around, you know, and to see him looking at me seriously was something else. So we walked outside of the hospital room, and he said, he looked at me, he said, you know why my father's refusing dialysis treatment? It's because it's too much of a burden on each one of us, and he doesn't want us to carry that burden anymore. And he said, doesn't that make him a saint? Isn't that what religion's all about? In my heart, I wanted to say with everything that was in me i wanted to say sure he's going to be in heaven we'll all be there we'll have a great time seeing one another again rest assured man he'll be there with everything in me i wanted to say that and if i could have i would have but i looked at him and i said well what your dad doing is a courageous thing and i admire him for that as i always have i said but the bottom line is this addy i said bottom line is do you know the son do you know the Son of God? That's the question we're all going to be asked on that day. God's going to say, do you know my son? And my cousin looked at me and said, well, he's a Buddhist. You know that. And I said, well, that's why I'm concerned. And I said, that's why I'm here. And he uh, just kind of looked at me and then put his head down and said, well, that's, that's all I wanted to say. He walked into the room and I stood outside for a moment feeling just horrible. And how much I wanted to sit there and say, oh, relax. It's going to be fine. He's going to be in heaven. Don't worry about it. You know, if I could have, I would have. But on truth, we can't compromise, be the most unloving thing to present a false hope and a message that's not true. And though Christ's words bring encouragement, bring hope, bring inspiration, there are also a lot of tough teachings on there, and this is one of them. And we cannot compromise on this truth because we find it hard or maybe offensive to others. And the people of God are called to proclaim truth and present the truth, even if it hurts, and to defend the truth of God's word. And on this teaching, we dare not do the unloving thing and present a compromised message of the gospel. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. May we be a people who stand by the word of God, continue to proclaim the word of God. May we not compromise on his truth as tough as it may be and lovingly present this message to friends and family members who, who don't know Christ for our eternal destiny is what lies at stake. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. 
even those promises that are difficult. Help us to be a people who will not compromise the truth of your words, but to stand by it faithfully to present your message with love to a lost and dying world. And I pray for many here who have friends and family members who don't know you. May they have the wonderful privilege of bringing their friends and family to a saving knowledge of your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Despite the confusion in the culture and even in some churches, Jesus was pretty clear on his teaching about heaven and how to get there. Thank you for joining us today on Evidence and Answers with Dr. Pat Zucrin. This show and other valuable resources are available at evidenceandanswers.org. Pat and his ministry is supported by your donations. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you consider partnering with Pat and supporting his work with a generous donation? You can place that donation at evidenceandanswers.org. We want to thank you again for listening. And hope you'll join us again next week for more of Evidence and Answers. Wait, wait.